Welcome to The God Life with Pastor Delapo Lawal, the lead pastor of the Zoe household. His desire is to bring you to the consciousness of the Zoe that has been made available to everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen and be equipped with the Word of God. Because when we're learning about the church, we are learning about what Christ died for. Alright? Christ did not die for himself. So, in learning Ecclesia, we're learning about our identity in Christ. That's why it's very important. All that was written at four times, Romans 15 verse 4, was written for our learning. All right? So that we, through patience and comfort of scriptures, might have hope. So God gave us the word not just to know him. Because of the truth, the knowledge of God is endless. God is the only person that you describe saying is indescribable. Remember that he dwells in light, light unapproachable. What the Bible tells us is very slim about God. Hope you're aware. The Bible does not tell us about the operations of God outside mankind. And mankind is just one of his creation. So we don't know anything about God. You have to understand that. We, if you're seeing anything in the Bible, you're like, wow. That's not even mind-blowing. Jesus was the one that told us for the first time that when your air drops, an angel is taking record of it. There's an angel that takes record of every hair on your head that falls. We didn't know that before. It took God coming in his, in his incarnation to tell us, there are many things I'm doing that you don't know. And you know, sometimes we are like that. We like to thank God for things he delivered us from more than things that he kept us from. It doesn't make any sense. We want to thank him when we had that accident and the car spoiled, but nothing happened to us. But we don't want to thank him the days that we were driving free, 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 and he didn't even make the accident happen at all. See, so there are so many things about God that the Bible doesn't encapsulate. What the Bible shows us is God's history with mankind. And from his history, we can then begin to see his patterns, his ways, all right? So we are seeing how God related with men to know how we ought to be in our relations and operations with God. Does that make any sense? That's very, very important to praise the Lord. So when we say Ecclesia, more so we're speaking about a parliamentary meeting. It's a called out people, hallelujah, but he called out people for what? He called out people for deliberation. That means every time we meet, our meetings are purposeful. Praise the Lord. That will also mean that our meeting place is our gathering. This place is church because we came here. We give this place essence. All right? That also means a beer parlor can be a church. It doesn't matter what the word. Now, this is the only, this is the dichotomy. Once we start meeting there, immediately we start meeting there. If there is another meeting there, that is dishonoring what we have already consecrated. So, the offense is not on us. The offense is on those people that cannot see the sacredness of what we are now doing there. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? Praise God. So when we say ecclesia, we're not talking the church. We, you know this already. We're not talking about a building. But we are actually still talking about a building. And you're going to see that as we go on. The, the church is actually the building, all right? But the building is not the building where you come. The building is the building you brought to a building. You're going to understand. Listen, listen. I'm going to show you. The Bible describes you as the building, the building of God, all right? And I'm going to show you that so, so you're not confused. So more so, when we say ecclesia, we're talking about a purposeful gathering. We're talking about people coming from different places, all right, and coming together for deliberation. So there is a purpose for coming together. And what is the purpose? Deliberation. We are pondering on something. We're thinking about something. We are executing judgment pertaining to something. That's very important. All right? So we come to church to talk. We come to church to speak. To speak authoritatively. All right? And that, also, that will also mean that we come to church as representatives. Remember we said parliament. A, 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 somebody in a congress is representing people, taking decisions for people. So we come, as we are here now, we are representatives. There are nations in us. Hallelujah. That's very important. Let's see a description. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. So you can see the, the sacredness of what is called ecclesia, that gathering. We coming together. Hebrews chapter 12 18 to 24. Can we put that on the screen? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18 to 24. Praise Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18 to 4. It says, For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that, and that burned with fire. So which mount is this? It's actually painting a picture of Mount Sinai. All right? Yes, you want to, I did a teaching one time about the day of Pentecost. You might want to, to listen to that. You, you will get how what happened on Mount Sinai is exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost. You, you see the, the dialectics and you, you understand very clearly when you hear it. It's about three series, I get, I guess, three parts, maybe five hours. So you get everything. You are not come onto, mount, onto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest. Verse 19. And the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. They were afraid at the sound of, of what God was saying. Verse 20. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touch the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. Verse 21. And so, tremble, so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. Let's read together now. All right, so where have we come? But you have come unto Mount Zion and unto the city 
of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. So now he describes this place where we've come to as a place. You have come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. That's another teaching I did when I was teaching about Numa. Jerusalem. Jerusalem is now people. Jerusalem, it means I will see peace. Anywhere God can find peace, which peace is a territory of Jesus because he's the prince of peace. Anywhere Jesus is lording over is called peace. That's Salem, all right? The heavenly Jerusalem. To an innum- am I saying too many things today? To an innumerable company, I feel like I am. To an innumerable company of angels, verse 23. To the, exactly. So now you're seeing, you're seeing the description. To the general assembly and the church of the firstborn. So, he's making a counter comparison. Now you have to understand this. Oh, look at. Let me see. Uh, so you can understand what I'm saying. Look at Hebrews chapter two. The the thought. Please pay attention. The thought for this actually starts from Hebrews chapter two. So if you miss out on Hebrews chapter 2, you will never understand the entire book of Hebrews. All right? He says, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. See what he says. Okay. He says, Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time, what should happen? We should let them sleep. Look at verse 2. He says, for if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every trans- transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, look at what he says. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken of the Lord? So what Paul is saying from the entire Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, is a counter comparison between what existed before and the new. Does that make any sense? In Hebrews chapter 1, he compares the ministry of Jesus to angels, saying the ministry of Jesus is more glorious. In Hebrews chapter 2, he starts to identify the, the, the operations of this ministry. Let me look so I don't miss my... I don't tell you people rubbish. All right? He continues with the, the ministry of angels. In chapter 3, he compares Jesus with Moses. In chapter 4, he compares Jesus with Joshua and shows that Jesus is the Sabbath. In chapter 5, let me be sure. In chapter 5, he identifies Jesus as our high priest, all right? And he goes on and on like that. So all what he is doing in the entire book of Hebrews is counter-comparison, making you know that Jesus is the guy. Do you understand what I'm saying? Making you know that Jesus is the guy. So if you're reading Hebrews chapter 12, when he says, we have not come onto a mountain that, that cannot be touched. All right? That at the sound of the voice of God, Moses said, I'm exceedingly afraid. His heart quaked. He's telling you that what? If he's trying to show that the glory of the latter is better than the former, then he's making you understand that, see, let's read it back. Hebrews chapter 12. Do you understand what I've said so far? 
So what he's doing is a counter comparison. That's all he's doing. He's telling you Jesus is greater than angels. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is um, greater than um, um, Joshua and is the Sabbath. I think in verse, verse um, chapter 5, he starts to talk about um, Jesus, um, the priesthood of Jesus. In chapter 6, he talks about the order of Melchizedek. He introduces that, chapter 7, like that, like that. God will help us. And he goes on and on. And I got, the Bible is plenty. All right? But he had come onto Mount Zion. No, go back again. See how he, he, he describes the former to 18. Are you people getting blessed? Are you understanding what I'm saying? Okay, I'm feeling very slow. For ye have not come unto Mount, the Mount that cannot be touched. So he's telling you that, see, looking at this, this is very, very serious, very sacred. It's not like you can touch it. You cannot. They heard the voice of God, and the voice of God was like thunder and lightning. That's why you can't describe worship like that. That's all I will say. All right? They heard the voice of God. It was thunder and lightning, and God was literally speaking. But it was just too much. They said, please, Moses, look for a way to tell God. We don't want to hear him. This is serious. Are you hearing this? Now, that is a passing, a passing, a past glory. So what he's saying, in other words, is that this Mount Zion that we have come onto is even much more terrible. Is much more better. This is why, listen. Let's read together so it can make sense what I want to say. Let's read together. One, two, go. For ye are not come unto the mount that cannot be touched and that burned with fire, all right? Nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest. So start to imagine what, what they were looking at. Verse 19. Let's go quickly, quickly. And the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words. Just start imagining this in your head. Which voice? They that heard it entreated the word that you should not be speaking of them anymore. Verse 20. For they could not endure that which was commanded. Let's go on. Verse 21. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. Verse 22. But ye have come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. So he's telling in other words that, okay, let's go on verse 23. To the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, when we gather, more terrible is the sight than tempest, than darkness. Is that serious? Listen, if God can open your spiritual eyes and an not an unbeliever, somebody in the Old Testament before Jesus died, I will be sounding like thunder and lightning. Do you understand what I'm saying? Is that serious? That the words of God, which are the commands of God, when it is coming out of my mouth, all right, because I am in Zion, in the city of the living God, where God is, I will be speaking as God. So, if Moses was sitting down right now, he would be what? Exceedingly afraid and will be quaking. Oh my God. That Zion is what we have here. That 
Mount Sinai experience is what we have that is now normal here. The gathering of believers is so sacred and terrible. It's not a normal thing when we gather. Do you understand what I'm saying? So now you're picturing how the Old Testament saw the voice of God in a congregation that is exactly and even exceedingly how it is now. They could not host angels. But here we have an innumerable company of angels. All right? Look at what it says. Which are written in heaven and to the God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Verse 24. It says, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than the blood of Abel. So what we have now is what? Better things. So if that one was dramatic, what we have now is much more dramatic. It's just that we have become too supernatural that the supernatural is now natural. Do you understand what I said? So if we're not spirits, we would have been afraid like them. Can you imagine that God was talking and people were hearing thunder and lightning and God was just speaking? And that's the same God that speaks to you and you don't even obey sometimes. Praise the Lord. This is the description of our gathering. So it's not a plaything when we gather. You can't have this online. You can't. It's a called out. If you notice, I gave you a definition. Called out of what? Their homes. Mount Sinai was not in their tents. They had to leave their tents to see Sinai. I want you to go and read the Synoptic Gospels. Nobody received a miracle from Jesus without coming to Jesus. Not one. Jesus never went and knocked at somebody's door and said, Hi, anybody sick here? I'm doing giveaway. Healing giveaway. No, you had to come to Jesus. You can break his ceiling, no problem. Just make sure you come. Jesus did not say, I will come. He said, Come unto me. What? All you that labor and I have laid in. And then I will give you rest. So he can only give rest when you come. He will not transfer rest by Bluetooth to you or at the comfort of your bed. No. You will have to come. There is a calling out. I hope you're aware that Moses did not force everybody that was an Israelite to leave Egypt. It was a call. It was. Oh, you think everybody in, in, in Egypt left? There were no Israelites there. You must be wrong. Moses gave the call. We are leaving Egypt to where? Wilderness. To do what? To serve God. What will we eat? God will provide. Eh? Me, I'm not going home. It took faith to leave Egypt. Look at Acts chapter 7, verse 38. Now I'm, but it's still in line, so it's fine. Acts chapter 7, verse 38. We'll still teach about this, so it's, we can learn it already. Acts chapter 7, verse 38. The Bible actually describes the exodus as a church. Acts 7, verse 38. Um, is that the text? 
Alright, look at this. This is he that was in the church. The church where? In the wilderness. So the first typology of the church of Jesus Christ was not just coming together to sit down, was a coming together to sojourn in God's promise. Do you understand this? That's so important. The church of Jesus Christ is a sojourning in the promise of God. Because what the children of Israel were actually doing was having an exodus into home. Do you understand this? They left their original home in Canaan and went to another home because they were looking for survival. Listen, I hope you know that going to Egypt was a prophecy. God told Abraham, listen, your children are going to be in Egypt for 400 years, all right? They are going to be there for 400 years. Then I will now call them out because God was using Egypt. That's one thing that you have to learn. When God chooses you, praise the Lord, it's true. He will show beauties with your life, but there will be so much pain as well. The people of Israel, listen, go and do, this is history. I'm not saying Bible. Nobody has suffered, a people, no person, no people in the world has suffered like the children of Israel. In fact, in the international system, they call them the sports, the sports children of the world. You've read about the Holocaust. They've never killed people. They've never hated people like the Jews before. All history, all history, from this, from the Assyrians to the Babylonians to the Italians, they just kept moving from slavery to... When God, did you notice? <laughs> Who received the blessing, Jacob or Esau? Who ran away? Who was a fugitive? Who didn't have house? When God calls people, notice all through the Old Testament, he calls them into nowhere. A sojourning. Jesus was telling the disciples, he said, see guys, I'm about to build my church. Yeah, they said, yeah, glory. He said, guess what? He that keeps his life shall lose it. So why this guy spoils with message like this? Jesus always calls people into journey. Jesus told Abraham, now I want you to be in Canaan. The guy wanted to start building. God said, no, build tents. Abraham got it. Why did God say to build tents? Because he's going to move. The temple of God, all through in the Old Testament, was until Solomon, it was in a tent. When they stay somewhere for a while, God will say, now it's time to move. They pack God. <laughs> and carry him to another place. God was telling them that this is a sojourning. So they left Egypt, all right, and they were going back home. That's the typology of what he's called us to as a church. We don't have our future ahead of us. Our future is hidden behind, all right? We're sojourning back home. We left, now we're back. And now we are moving deeper back in. We are not moving forward as a Christian. We are actually moving backwards. We are moving towards the cross. Where is the cross? Behind. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's a sojourn. All right? So they move from Egypt, and then they are moving back to Canaan, they are the promised land. 
and that promised land, God told them, there is a land flowing with milk and honey. God was giving them a typology of the word. All right? Desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Your word is like honey in my soul. Then he says, a land flowing with milk and honey. He's saying, I'm calling you into my word. Jesus says, the Sabbath was not made for, um, the people were not made for the Sabbath. Instead, the Sabbath was made for people. He says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. So moving to the promise of God was a typology of coming into Christ. That's why when they left Egypt, the first thing that happened to them was the ministry of John the Baptist. They passed the Red Sea. It was baptism. All right? They could have passed another place. Do you know why? Because when they were going to Egypt, they didn't pass Red Sea. So there was another route. Abraham went to Egypt. They didn't pass Red Sea. Did you read that when Joseph was going to Egypt, they passed Red Sea? They said, no. They carried him through a wilderness. They passed Philistine. But this time, God called them. And look at what Moses said. He said, the Egyptians you see today, what will happen? You will see them no more. He was speaking about the death of a system and newness of life into something brand new. So when they passed the Red Sea, what happened was baptizo, an immersion by water and coming out to not see Egypt anymore. Egypt will be more than a people. Egypt is a system. We're going to see that this month. Do you understand what I just said? All right. Getting blessed? All right. Praise God. Glory, glory, glory. All right. So, Hebrews chapter 12, we read that. Now, let's see what Jesus said about his church. Matthew 16. Matthew 16, verse 13 to 21. Let's look at that. Matthew 16. Verse 13, Jesus gets into Caesarea Philippi, let's rush. When Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that the Son of Man am? Verse 14. And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist. I thought about this a little in a um, camp meeting. We know why they said it was John the Baptist, Abby. Why? Because they preached the same message. All right? Some say you are Elijah. Why? Because he's the one to baptize with fire. And some say you're Jeremiah because he's warning unto um, uh, um, uh, repentance. And then one of the prophets, because Jesus actually operated as a prophet. He said a prophet is not honored in his own home. All right? Verse 15. <clears throat> Verse 15. He said unto them, but, who, but whom say ye I am? All right? He was already telling them who he is by saying I am. But they didn't really catch that. Verse 16. He says, And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, all right, the Son of the living God. Let's move on. Verse 17. Thou art the Christ, the Son of... And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for what? Flesh and blood had not revealed this. So Jesus is telling us that it would be impossible for you to know him by observation. Listen, if you want to win a soul by being an apologetic, you are doing the wrong thing. Intellectually, you can't convince somebody. The story that we are sharing, if you think about it, a virgin gave birth. God is not a child. Then God not died. God not resurrected. Why all the drama? 
intellectually, it makes no sense. Once the person is starting to become uh, logical, so I just say, don't worry, it's well. We'll find out. There's no need to convince somebody. It says, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. All right? Verse 18. He says, And I say unto, and say also unto thee, and I say also unto thee, sorry guys, that thou art Peter. All right? That word there is Cephas. There's a description of that word. It's a small rock. How many of you have seen stone that you try to kick, very small, and you try to kick the stone, you realize that the stone cannot move. Then you now try so hard, then you realize that the stone is rooted in the ground. That's the picture of Cephas. It's very small, but unmovable. All right? He says, thou art Peter. Now, then he says, and upon this rock will I build my church. Upon which rock? Huh? Yeah, the knowledge, the knowledge that is the Christ, all right, will cause for you to be a Cephas. You will be rooted down, that's rooting, and it will appear little but very strong. Do you understand? It says, Upon this rock will I build my church. All right? Upon which kind of rock that is rooted to the ground in the knowledge that he is the Christ. So Jesus is not building his church on revelation. Because the same Peter that gave revelation in verse 22 was already saying another revelation. All right? So it's not revelation. It is the knowledge. Say, say, say gnosis. I told you about that. It's a knowledge. Upon the knowledge that is the Christ. It says, listen, upon the knowledge that I'm the Christ, I will build my church. And what? The gate of hell shall not prevail over it. He didn't ask us to pray that the gate of hell will not. Now, let me bring it. Let me help us to read it well so we can understand what I'm saying. I am the Christ. So what will happen to the Christ? Okay, let's read on verse 19. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Verse 20. Then charged he his disciples that they should not tell no man that he is Jesus the Christ. Verse 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that what he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be what killed and be raised again the third day. So what will happen to the Christ? First Peter chapter one verse eleven. Quickly, then we come back so you can understand what I want to say. First Peter chapter one verse eleven. Am I too fast? First Peter chapter one verse eleven. All right. Now, this is talking about the elders. So, the prophets were searching what? Or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified before and the sufferings of who? Christ and the glory that should what? Follow after. So, there was a prophecy that the Christ must suffer, must die. 
When Peter said, don't say you shall die, Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan, because that was anti the ministry of the Christ. When Peter was saying, don't die, what Peter was indirectly saying is that don't build the church. Because the church of Jesus Christ is a typology of the marriage of Adam and Eve. A typology. Ah, I don't want to talk too much. Alright, let's go back to Matthew chapter 16. Verse 18. Let me, let me try to explain what I'm saying. Jesus is described as the second, or the, sorry, not second, the last Adam. Am I correct? What did Adam do for Eve, his bride, to come to life? The word is died. All right? When the Bible talks about Stephen, that Stephen died, they stoned him to death. The Bible said he slept in the Lord. God cannot say died. It's not a reality in his own. Do you understand? That kind of word cannot come out of God's mouth. The only thing God can say is slept. Because he died here, but he will appear before him. Alright? So nothing has ever died to God. God is the creator of man. There is no death in God. Man can only be absent in body, but man cannot die. Because it was an immortal that created him. So if you die here, you left here and died to us. But you came right in front of God to now be in the real life. Do you understand what I'm saying? So God cannot say death because he will be lying. Do you understand what I said? So when the Bible says and Adam slept, it's a typology of the betting of the church. Adam had to die for God to bring out Eve from his inside. Jesus must die for his own bride to come out also, which is the church. Do you understand? That's, it's just a typology, it's an allegory. Praise God. So he says, that was the Peter, and upon this rock will I build my church. And we said, what is the church, the, the, the rock? The knowledge that he is the Christ. Abi. So what will happen to the Christ? He will die, all right? He will be buried, and then he will resurrect, all right? So now, if that's what will happen to the Christ, how will the church be formed? So now, let's see. He says, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I have built, will I build. So when Jesus was talking, had he built the church? No. So that means you have to understand this, that, look at, and I say unto thee, Thou art, thou art what? Will Peter be Peter? Mm-mm. He's already Peter. He said, Thou art Peter. And upon this rock will I. So he's telling you that this is a fresh statement. I've settled you. I've given you an identity now. All right? Cephas. But listen, that Cephas I gave you will come about because, and upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gate of hell shall not prevail against it. No, this was the first time Jesus called him Peter now, Cephas. And, and let me say this. Let me say this. That word Peter, all right? Because Peter's natural name is Simon. Simon means shaky. 
that's the meaning of the word Simon, all right? It means shaky. It means unstable, all right? Simon and then Barjona. The word Barjona means son of Jonah, all right? But Peter took this as a revelation and took it upon himself. Every Christian is Peter. I don't want to talk far. Praise God, all right? Let's just, let's just put that one somewhere. It says, and upon this rock, I want us to get this text. And upon this rock will I build my church. What is the church? The, the rock. The knowledge that is the Messiah, all right? Or that is the Christ. What must the Christ do? He must die. Am I correct? He must be buried. Am I correct? And then he will resurrect, which is the entirety of the gospel, all right? So Jesus is saying, in my death, praise God, in my death, in my burial, in my resurrection, they will be about the betting of the church. Do you get this? He says, upon this rock will I build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So he's saying, in my agenda to build my church, I will come against the gate of hell because he will die. Listen, if the church exists, it means the gate of hell did not prevail. Do you understand? So he's saying, my resurrection is the evidence that the gate of hell did not prevail. So he's not saying, pray that the gate of hell will not prevail. He's saying, as I have resurrected, that is telling you that I went to hell. I went to the grave. And I resurrected. My resurrection bettered the church. Showing you that I have defeated hell and, and, and shame and sin. Paul puts it like this. He went into hell and made a public spectacle, an open show of the enemy, triumphing over them in glory. Do you understand this? So the church of Jesus Christ is not better to fight battles. <clears throat> or the church of Jesus Christ was not better to fight battles. The church of Jesus Christ is the victory and the evidence that battles are over and won. Makes any sense? Right. Praise Jesus. Mm, okay. Making sense? Learning something? Okay. Now, now. It's almost time. Ah, oh God. Help. No, but I didn't digress. I did not at all. Mm -mm, I didn't. I didn't. You need to know all the things I said. The way people were looking like uh, granites. <laughs> I had to make it clear. <laughs> All right. But do you understand what I've said so far? Yes, sir. All right. So the word ecclesia is used, or the church will refer to congregation. I don't know the thing is, is not doing. Will refer to congregation. Sorry, one second. Okay. We refer to congregation. All right. 
assembly and also the church. Congregation, assembly, and the church. All right, let's, let's see how to knock some things out quickly. Um, hence, the church is, number one, the body of Christ. The church is, number one, the body of Christ on earth. The body of Christ on earth. All right? Let me show you something. I don't have this in my note, but this might help. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18. 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 It says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and uh, and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Verse 19. And listen to this, friends. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us what who believe, according to the working of his mighty power? Verse 20. Which he did what? He wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So the, the, the exceeding greatness of his power, mighty power to us what? Was wrought where? In Christ. Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him on his own right hand, in the heavenlies, all right, 21. Far above what? All principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Verse 22. Listen to this so you can get what I'm saying. And had put all things under whose feet? Christ's feet. And gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Now look at the description of the church. Which is what? So what is he describing? The church. He says that church, Christ, eh, has made head of all things to the church. So the reason why Christ is the head of all things is for the church. Does that make any sense? Christ is not head of all things because he wants to be head of all things. God never lost his dominion. There was no time a principality was greater than God. See the context we are coming from. Go back to verse 22. 23, 21. Far above what? All principality and powers and might and dominion and every name that is named. Not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. God never had this issue. The last time Lucifer tried to take the throne of God, he didn't get God to move. God just told Michael to undo him. Because God can't fight an angel. And a believer also cannot fight an angel or a demon. How can you fight a demon? They're not on the same class. They have a, a spirit of servanthood. You have a spirit of sonship. They are not the same. Jesus never told us to fight demons. He said, cast them out in my name. It's an authority thing. It's not a warfare thing. Until the church knows this, devil will be licking people. You don't fight a demon. It's a command, leave. This sign shall follow them. In my name, they shall cast out devils. He didn't say talk, negotiate. Out. It will go. 
praise God, far above all principality and powers and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but in that which is to come. Our reign is forever. Amen. Verse 22. He says, And had put all things under whose feet. So where is everything? Under the feet of Jesus. And gave him to be head over all things to the church. So he took all this dominion, power, and this thing for us as a man so that he can be held over all things to the church. And guess what he did? He now became one with that church. You're going to see the, the progression of what Paul is saying. Look at verse 23. Which So the church is what? His body. The fullness of him that filleth all things. So Jesus feels all things, but the church feels Jesus that feels all things. Do you understand this? Jesus is the fullness of all things, but Jesus is incomplete without the church. So as much as Jesus completes us, we also complete him. Praise God. Go to the next verse. Yes, that's why I said the next verse. And you, had he quickened, see that he had quickened you who were dead in trespasses and sins. Remember how we start this, these thoughts. It says, and. So that means chapter 2 and chapter 1 are connected. Remember that what he is praying is that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened, that ye may know the riches, what he did in Christ. See what Paul is saying that your eyes of understanding should see. Look at verse 2. Let's go on. Wherein in time past he walked according to the course of the word, according to the prison of the power of the air, the spirit will now walk in the of disobedience. Verse 3. Among whom also you also had your conversations in times past in loss of flesh, fulfilling desires of the flesh and of the mind, and where by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Verse 4. But God, hallelujah, who is rich in his mercy, in mercy for his great love wherein he loved us. Look at verse 5. Even when we were dead in sins, had quickened us up together with Christ. By grace are you saved. So that quickening that he said in verse 1, he told you what he meant. We have now been quickened with who? Where is Christ? Far above all principalities and powers. So the only reason why Christ became far above all principalities and powers to the church is so that the church can now be far above all principalities and powers with him. Do you understand? If he had quickened you with Christ and he had put all things under the feet of Christ that he had quickened you with, where is all things or where are all things? <laughs> under your feet. All right. So the only reason why Christ is head of all things to the church is for the... So the church, <laughs> the church is the body of Christ. We complete Christ just as much as he completes us. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. Let's rush. Ah, God. Now carry over. I wanted to not do this this month. Anyways, we're doing, we're praying on Friday, 9 to 12. Praise God. Maybe we should do 9 to 1. All right. Colossians 3, verse 15. Let's see. It says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the to the which also ye are called in one body and be 
thankful. So we have called, we've been called into one body. You know what that means? That means you are not called to be a body. You are called to be part of a body. Emmanuel, can you reduce your volume? You are called to be part. Does that make any sense? You're called to be part of the body. Another thing is this. Notice all the descriptions of the life in Christ in the New Testament. You realize that God never designed you to be individualistic. In John chapter 17, he says you are a what? Branch. He is the vine. He says, I'm the vine. My father is the husbandman, and ye are my branches. Jesus never described a believer to be isolated. He never described all the descriptions of the New Testament believer is always connected to someone. At quickened you with Christ. You are found in Christ. You are never alone. Jesus died to make sure you are not alone. He said, I will not leave you comfortless. That word comfortless is the Greek word of phanos. Right? I will not leave you comfortless. That means I will not leave you as orphans. In other words, he's saying, he says, when he was sending them into the world, he says, go ye therefore into the world and make disciples. Then he says, lo, I'm with you, what? Always. So one of the things that Jesus made sure to do is that you never walk alone. Liverpool. Ephesians chapter 2. That's a rubbish thing, but I don't know why. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 to 20. God is a, is a man you find. Yes. It's a mystery that we are called red devils. Yeah, it's, it's the devil that is trying to manipulate people. Mm-hmm. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Now, therefore, ye are no longer, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but what? Fellow citizens with what? The saints and of the household of God. All right? Verse 20. And are built, up, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. Does that make any sense? So we are now part of a body. It is wrong to say heaven is a personal race. It has never been personal. Listen, if your community won't make heaven, you might as well not. Listen, do you know why? I'm not going to talk too much, but I will say something to you. What God is judging is not acts. What God is judging is purpose. Jesus made us understand that clearly. God gave people talents and didn't care what they were doing. All he cared about, what did you do with what I gave you? That's all. God didn't, but he said, if you like, kill somebody, I don't care. What I just want to know is, that thing I gave to you, what did you do with it? I've told you people this before. If Jesus had died without sin, he would have been a failure. Because God said to die as what? Sin. This is a purpose kingdom. If God sends you somewhere, if you go there and you don't do what God said to do, no matter how beautiful all the things you did there was, if you come back without doing that thing, will you be accepted? 
your purpose is to win souls. They are not winning souls. Are you doing what God said to do? You can't, you can't say your heaven is a personal race. What's personal about it? Did you die for it? How can you claim something is personal when you did not die for your personal salvation? Somebody gave you something, you say, ah, it's a personal. Yeah, are you joking? There's nothing personal about it. This is a relay marathon. God will not start a brand new work with us. The apostles, Jesus started the work, handed it over to the apostles, and then from fathers to fathers, and has been committed to us, our own generation now. We might be saying the older generation did nothing. At least the gospel got to us. The way Christianity is being pushed right now is by birth. It's not by message. Are you aware? Go and do your statistics. You don't need to evangelize to push a religion, but you must evangelize to push Christianity. I've never seen an Islamic person preaching Islam before. Brother, sit down. You receive Allah. They don't do that, but they know how to have many children. So you can push, get what I'm saying, you can push religion by birth. But you see this Christianity, you can't push by birth, and that's what is happening now. Many of you are Christians because your, Christ, your parents are. And some of you, to be very fair, if you were a Muslim, I don't think you would ever, you would ever come here. Because you might have not even been spiritually alert enough. If there is any Muslim, I'm not saying this in pride or anything, but I'm saying this because it's something that I've noticed. If there's any Muslim that has changed, the person received the mercy of God because the person was interested in truth. If you are a Christian and you are not devoted, you can never be a Muslim and convert. <laughs> you will die there. Listen, what I just said now is so powerful. If you are a Muslim and you are not interested in truth, Jesus will not show up. Listen, it was not only Paul that executed Stephen. It was only Paul that had so much passion. Jesus had to appear to him. So it's like, this guy is so resourceful. If this guy can use this passion and ignorance, how much more? Jesus appeared to him. Hi, Paul. Why didn't Jesus appear to the, the, the chief priests and the scribes and say, you persecute me? Because even in the Judaism that they were doing, they didn't do it well. All the people that received encounters from Jesus in the New Testament that were not Christians, that had special encounters, were interested in God. Go and do your findings. The Bible describes Cornelius as a man that was fasting and was not in Christ. Did you hear what I said? Cornelius had a devotion without a God. God said, I need to fill that gap. The, the, the story about Cornelius was that he was a kind man, devout man. I hope you are also aware that the people that received the gospel of Jesus on the day of Pentecost were devout men. That season was the season of Pentecost. It was a celebration time. People traveled from different parts of the world to come and worship God. God, first of all, 
revealed themselves to worshippers, ignorant worshippers. At least they were worshipping. The woman by the well that Jesus went to, from the conversation with Jesus, you can see her heart. She's interested in God. Jesus was talking about water. This, the conversation started as toasting. She was asking doctrinal question. Where do we worship? Do you understand what I'm saying? That was why Jesus went. Nobody in Israel ever asked Jesus, how can we worship? A woman that was a Gentile said, listen, we heard that a Messiah will come, meaning she was waiting for a Messiah. She said, we heard that the Messiah, when he comes, he will teach us all things. And I perceive you're a prophet. Please, where do we worship God? I want to worship. And to show you, let me tell you another thing you should notice. All the people that received special miracles from Jesus, immediately after the miracle, where did they go? The synagogue. Listen, this is something you should go and check. Listen, have you heard promotion doesn't come from north or south? Let me show you something. Favor is a function of justice. Favor is not that God said, ah, I pick you. That's not favor. Let me show you what I'm saying. Are you learning something? All right. Praise God. Psalm 75, verse 6. Look at the context carefully. Psalm 75, verse 6. So if, if you are not interested in God as a Christian, just know that thank God your parents made a decision to be a Christian. Because, and let me also say this. Because your parents are Christians doesn't make you one. God doesn't have grandchildren. Let me just make that clear. You are not saved because you are in a Christian home. <laughs> we have devotion. That's not what there is devotion in, in religion. In fact, religion strives to satisfy your conscience with devotion. You are not more of a worshiper than someone that created what he will worship. You don't know the meaning of that. You chose your own God and made your God. You want to worship. How can you be feeding God? Your God will fall. You will move your own God. Ah, sit down where my God. Your God? That's telling you how much people want to worship. So you are no more of a worshiper than someone that, that is... You know what it is to pray five times a day? It is killing the spirit of God to make you convinced that you are doing the wrong thing. Because you are satisfying your conscience. Religion makes you busy. So by the time you think about it, ah, I can't be doing something wrong. Five times a day, I have devotion. God must be pleased. That's what the devil does. Say, ah, I'm a Christian. Why? We do money devotion in my house. Listen, for promotion cometh neither from what? The east, nor the west, nor from the south. Hallelujah! Promotion doesn't come from the from but it comes from God. Look at verse 7. But God is the judge. He put it down and set it up. You can promotion is a function of justice. Before you will experience the favor of God, there are things that will they will necessitate that favor coming to you. God, listen, you can't get a job without going for an interview. Amen? You can't. Say, God will just put the job in my house. That's not the way it works. 
it is a study you should do. Everybody that received a miracle from Jesus, you will see them expressing faith, which they should not even have. One, you will see them that after they received the miracle, the man by the beautiful gate, when Peter and John healed him, what did he do? The Bible says he went straight into the, into the synagogue and he was glorifying God. If you will not glorify God, it will not come. There was nobody that received the miracle from Jesus that was not interested in God. That's one thing you should go and check. Why did God pick Mary? From our conversation, you can know why. God told her something ridiculous. You are a virgin and you will have a child. She didn't. God told Zachariah, who was a priest. Are you hearing me? He said, your daughter, your, your wife, Elizabeth, will have a child. You know what Zachariah said? He said, how can this be? Ah, then he said, if allow this guy to talk, he will spoil our plan. He made him deaf and dumb. Somebody said, Mary and Zachariah asked the same question. They didn't. Zachariah said, how can this be? Mary said, how will this be? One is possibility. One is wisdom. They're not the same question. Can is, can it happen? Will is, tell me how it will happen. They're not the same question. They are two different questions. God knew she would be interested in how he would do it. That's why she chose him. And immediately God said it. She did not say, hi. She said, be it unto me. According, if God, will, if God knows he will not get consent out of you, he will not bring the approval to you. That's the way it works. And let me tell you something that is interesting. The Bible doesn't tell us. Do you know if God told another virgin? Let me tell you something I noticed. I will close. We'll continue. On Friday prayer meeting, we'll finish this ecclesia and we'll pray. Where did I stop? Let me get my... We'll continue. Jesus is what? Is the body of Christ. The body... Uh, one. Yeah, it's okay. We have many. So, the church is the body of Christ on it, Abby. We'll continue on Friday. 9 p.m. We'll do 9 to 1. Is that good? What was I saying? Let me finish this. Yes. Every time I go to one state in Nigeria, they always say two things. I've noticed. Say, ah, Pastor Lapo, I'm so glad you came. This state, God has a very prophetic and apostolic mandate for this place. God told us that he wants to use this city mightily. How many of you have prayed and the state that you were or the state that you are, God told you that he wants to use it mightily for his end time revival? Anybody like that? Nobody, yeah? If you go for a revival meeting or an igniting meeting, whatever they call it, all right, by the time you start to pray now, they'll say, God wants to start a move from here. Have you heard anything like that before? Uh-huh. Well, I'm not saying anything now. From this place, from this city, God wants to begin his end time move. Have you heard that before? God says it in every city. I hear it every time. God said, 
this Akure is where the, the end time revival for the old world. I said, the old world. Wow. We'll start from here. Go to Ibadan. God said, this is where I say, he? We went to worry too. I told Joseph that day. I said, Joseph, this is, I'm hearing this in everywhere. God said, he wants to use worry. That's one. Number two is every intercessor believes that any state they are is the darkest state in the world. The evil in this state, pastor, is too bad. I hear that everywhere. There is no place as dark as this place. There is no place. Everywhere is dark, the darkest. So one day I was in the car. I, was, I came back from a meeting like that. I said, wait, God, why are you causing confusion? Why is everybody seeing that everywhere is dark? And why is everybody saying anytime whatever? God said the most mind-blowing thing to me. He said, I told all of them because I'm waiting for the one that will respond. I want to change the church I'll be preaching to. You can't be commonizing what is mind-blowing to me. God said, I told all of them because I'm waiting for the one that will respond. God can use any city, but which city will align? So God tells them in Akure, blank check, no movement. That's why I said, we don't know how many virgins he told. But which one said, be it unto me according to your word? That one that aligned is the one that will be recorded. Do you get what I'm saying? It's so important. God, use me, God, use me. If you don't have desire, listen. You must be interested. If you have not died, Christ can manifest. Ambitions, God, God use me mightily. You are, you are ambitious for worldly things. God use me mightily. You will spectate. You will not act. And let me tell you something. It's not a curse. It's not a curse. Look at the people that Jesus used to facilitate the movement of the gospel. It was the 120 people out of the 500 people that could wait. Jesus could have given them the outpouring of the Spirit immediately. He said, go and wait in Jerusalem. Do you know how many they were when Jesus told them? 500. Put for us 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6. That 120 people you saw, what, 380 left. All right, let's read together. After that, who is the he that was seen? Christ. He was seen of above what? 500 brethren. Where? At once. Of whom the greater part remained unto this present world, but some have fallen asleep. That word there is died. So when Jesus in Matthew 16 was ascending, 500 people saw him. He said, don't look at me. Go and wait in Jerusalem till you are endued with power. By the time the Holy Ghost came, he met only 120. The remaining 380 had gone to do Pentecost. They were celebrating. They said, we'll come back. The 120 people, that was, you see, that 120 was the reality of the typology that God did with Gideon. They had 30,000 army, Abby, people, soldiers. Gideon took them. God said there are too many. Then they went to the stream. Only 300 was able to, to drink water like a, like a dog. The remaining, say all those ones, home. I can't use them. 
the ones that are they are testy but they are more particular about what we want to do those are the 300 i want to use to showcase my glory 500 over 500 people The Bible says when the 120 won accord, they were driving under. The Bible says when the 120 were in one accord, the Bible says suddenly. So the Holy Ghost wanted to fall upon them. But they were not in one accord. So until the 121 person, that his heart was not really there, until he left, Holy Ghost could do nothing. Immediately he left, Holy Ghost quickly came. Before somebody else started thinking something else. Those 120 are the testaments that we are reading in the Bible. 380 missed opportunity to be in history because they don't know how to wait. So it's not just that God will just say, no, no, no. He's a just God. So how do you now explain why some people are saved and some people are not saved? God just in his mercy just became nice and chose us and then those other people say, I hate you. No, it's a function of desire. The Bible says, God is a rewarder of what? Them that diligently seeking. So there is a diligence to seeking God. It's not anyhow. If somebody gives you something and you don't like, will you collect it? No, same with God. You can't serve God anyhow. Ah, this is how I like it. This, this is me. This is not you. Zodiac sign. This is my temperament. Not here. Romans chapter 1 verse 9. Romans chapter 1 verse 9. There is a way. You must, listen, there is something called, the Bible says, they that wait on the Lord shall what? You will know the scripture now. They that wait on the Lord shall what? Renew their strength. Renewal of strength is not for everybody. You have to learn to wait. Let me ask you a question. So you think we will gather here and pray for 12 hours and your discernment and someone that didn't pray will be the same? Are you joking? Let me ask you another question. Do you know that there is something called impartation of the word? That you are listening to this message is an edge over someone that didn't hear. Automatically. It's not a... Listen, there is no grace that the person can pray for in the house. He can't get it. He can't. He says, God is my witness, what? Whom I serve with my spirit. You don't serve God with your, with your mood or attitude. That's all I want to show you. You don't serve God with your disposition. Oh, this is my behavior. This is how I am. You were, you were called to conform to how you ought to be. He says, God, whom I serve with my spirit. You don't serve God with, with mood. There is a way. You see now, you two, you can't receive. Can't wait. That's it. Hair fire. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's very, very important. There is a way to serve God. There is a diligence. There is a passion. There is a desire. Let me tell you something. If you realize that you have lost spiritual enthusiasm, if you realize that you are not interested in things of God or the things of God, are now hard for you to do that serving God with your flesh. You are serving God with your, your spirit is not involved. 
the flesh profited nothing, but the spirit what? Give it life. Once you notice that, no more spiritual enthusiasm, you don't want to pray again, you are operating by the flesh. And how do you know you are proud? By your prayer life. Once you stop praying, pride has entered. That means you don't depend on God anymore. You that before, as they are preaching the word of God like this, your heart will be burning. Now they are preaching the word of God, they are checking time. See, your heart is going. And I'm not shading you. I'm not shading you. Your heart is going. You have to check it. You will do something before you feel bad now. You don't really care. Your heart is going. In worship, as we begin to sing, you have not even heard, greater you, Lord, just great. You are already on the ground now. Greater you, Lord. Your heart is going. That, you see, that's your heart walking away. Your interest in God is flying out. You have to pursue it. David said, quicken us to call upon your name. David said, I can't pray again. He said, Lord, I will wait till you quicken me to call upon your name. He said, I can't pray. I will pray about how to pray. That's what he said. I will pray that you will help me to pray. But that I won't pray. He said, no, it won't happen. Once you just see yourself, Brandy, I'm really looking at you. Hope you don't feel I'm preaching at you. Once you feel, let me look at Momo. That your tender heart, that meekness, that heart that, that is so broken in the place of worship, once you start losing that, you're hardening your heart. You're hardening your heart. You are losing childlikeness, and now you are becoming childish. You see, that heart, if that heart is gone, you have said bye-bye. Eh, to intimacy with God. You just told God out. Jesus was right. Listen, I've told you people about the grace of God. After this month or subsequently, we will still talk about the, the wrath of God. It's the balance. There is a justice to God's mercy. Are you hearing what I'm saying? There is a balance. There is a justice to God's mercy. Jesus says, if you don't believe in me, what will happen? Condemnation. It's a two-side coin. You cannot have, you cannot not believe and enjoy mercy. Are you joking? You can't stay to say, ah, God is ready. No. Just the way he is merciful, all right, is the way his judgments are terrible. Once you reject his mercy. Once you just, just notice that, I'm not more... Just say bye-bye, intimacy with God, out. What was wrong with Saul and what was wrong with David? Two of them were both dysfunctional. The only difference was the heart that was doing it. That's all. When Saul did his own, he added his heart in pride. When David did his own, he exposed himself in humility. That's all. When the Bible says David is a man after my heart, it didn't mean that God said, David, I love David more. It means that David is a man that is seeking my heart. Do you understand? It's English. He's a man what? After. That means he wants to know my ways. 
That was the difference between David and everybody. David would do something wrong. He would say, I've done. Listen, David was praying about a situation. Let me stop. David was praying about a situation to change. All right? And the situation didn't change. When David heard that the boy that he was praying about and did not eat for seven days had died, you know what David did? He stood up, went to take shower, and ate. He was so sure that the boy dying was God's goodness. That's the heart that go be like, wow. The next child that he had, David wanted to name him. God said, no, don't name him. I'll name him. I call him Jedediah. Provoste he should see. He says, this boy, his name is Jedediah. He says, because he's my beloved. And then God said, that son, you know that Bathsheba that you slept with, that the entire Israel and my prophet Nathan is looking at you like sinner, sinner. That boy from that adultery that you committed is going to be the king. I want to make your mercy message. That's God. But assuming David stood and said, I prayed for seven days, I'm no more serving God. Say bye-bye to Solomon. Bye. Say bye-bye to being in the lineage that will bring about Jesus. These things you have heard of me, among many witnesses, commit to faithful men that they may be with each other as well. Let's stand. So much. So much. So much is okay. Eh? Not enough. Ah. You see, now that's the hard thing. I think somebody is saying, there's David, is all. <laughs> <laughs> Praise God. Lift your hands and thank you. Lift your hands and thank you. For some of us, your word should be, we will not depart until you quicken us to call upon you. Huh? We will not depart until you quicken us to call upon your name. Paradventure, you're struggling to pray. See, we will not depart until you quicken us to call upon your name. That's why some people, they will pray, but their heart is not involved. So their devotion is nonsense. And another person will pray five minutes, and you will just sense the glory of God in that person's life. Some people will go to a mountain to seek God. One brother will just stay in his room with a sincere heart, commune with God for 10 minutes, and everything is fine. Moses was staying in the mountain for 40 days. David would just go to the temple and praise God. God said, I like this guy. <laughs> Woo! Thank you, Lord, for your delight. You delight in me. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. You know one thing I want you to pray? Let this be a request. Say, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, help me to tremble at your word. It's a powerful prayer. 
lift your voice and pray. Say, consecration prayer. Help me to tremble at your words. I don't want to be familiar. I don't want to be familiar with your word. I don't want to take your word for granted. I want to be able to receive the engrafted word with meekness. In some years from now, you will be preaching. You can get so lost with knowledge, forgetting the power and the life therein. I'm telling you. Help me to tremble at your words. Some of us, our heart for God, for service. Tell God, I don't want to lose that heart. I want to serve you with my mind. I want to serve you with my heart. I remember the first day I was told I was going to lead prayer in church. For a 15 minutes prayer I was supposed to lead, I prayed one hour. And I tell you honestly, there are days that I'm going to teach and I just go there and teach. No preparation in prayer at all. We have to be sincere with ourselves. Lord, help me. to 